This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. We are in Beaufort, South Carolina. We live on the coast. Um, if you're familiar with Beaufort, it may be because Paris Island is there. Um, Paris Island is where all the East Coast Marines go to get trained. And every week um, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the hardest place to get into is a restaurant. Because all their mamas and daddies show up to town with their cars pe- painted, decorated, you name it. You can tell who's graduating, whether they like them or not. You know, you know whether they're just there to get them or whether they're there because they're excited. It is a unique experience. But we also have the Marine Corps Air Station there. Um, the community that we're a part of, uh, the median average age of people that live in our community is between 25 and 28. Um, so we're an incredibly young community on the beach, um, which is all exciting to me. Um, there's nothing better than driving over one of the eight, seems like, bajillion bridges that are in town and watching the sunset over that which God sculpted and just thinking about how amazing God is. Um, and then uh, I have to tell you this, the community we're in, uh, the average median age of a church attendance is 48. So there's this huge disparity. And uh, in the midst of that, I, I circle around 18 to 28, 32, 35. Um, I'm the highest of the age. But um, I sit there and I, 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 I circle these people. And the question that's been presented today is um, very relevant to the circle we walk in. How, how do you stay alive when there's so much death around? Um, and I want to thank you for doing the Walking Dead series. I hadn't watched a single episode. Um, until you called me, I am now current within a few weeks, and uh, Netflix is wore out, and I walk around my house, and I start, arr, arr, arr. and my wife's like, shut up, I haven't seen a single episode, I'm not watching them, I'm gonna, you know, and she, anyway, it's a very unique I- environment in our house over the last month, um, but we've enjoyed it, and um, uh, tonight a new episode comes on, and uh, uh, I'll watch it tomorrow on the iPad. Uh, thank you, Apple TV. But in that, um, with that being said, um, how do you stay alive when there's these crazy things coming after you? And, you know, maybe they look like zombies with their eyes poked out. Maybe, who does the makeup for that? Anyway, how do you stay, how do you stay connected um, in this? And I love where they're at right now. And if you're not current, I'm just getting ready to blow your world, all right? So just deal with it. Um, Spoiler alert right there. But the fact that they're in this prison and that they ran to prison, I would have never thought of that. Um, Most people try to get out. They want to get in. And so they're standing there and they go in in this sense of community that belongs there and the sense of life that seems to to come into them. And and even though there's death all around the perimeter and in, in whatever those little tunnel things are called and all this There's some sort of life there. How do you connect to that? How do you connect, not in the walking dead sense of life, but how do you connect that in this world? Um, The two moments that I I, I just began, I began to think of, man, when was I really alive? One happened when I was about 17 years old. Um, I'm the oldest uh, of of the sons. I'm the oldest child in my family, um, which means I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And how many, if you have a sibling, you know this. If you're the oldest, you get blamed for everything. Doesn't matter. Um, they believe that if they did it, you know about it or knew about it, and that somehow you were the instigation of it. Um, so that's how I was raised. 
And so we were at a theme park. And uh, in theme parks now, the, the trend is to apparently put in things that you have to pay to do once you get in the theme park, um, which would be the Sky Coaster, um, which is a huge uh, apparatus similar to bungee jumping, but it's a cable-driven thing, and they pull you up. And we just happen to be at the theme park that has the tallest one in the United States, period. Boom. And I'm like, we should do that. And my brother that's four years younger than me, I go, we should do that. And we're walking around the park, and we actually happened to run into a friend that was there as well, and he said, we should do that. And guess how many people it takes to do that? Three. So we hit the magic number, and we decided, we're going to do this. And there's things that you do about halfway through, especially when you're a teenager, that you go, this sounded really good at first. And halfway through, you go, oh, this is dumb. This is, this is going to hurt, <laughs> you know, or you get there and you're like, that's yeah, going to leave a mark or whatever. And so we're, we're sitting there and uh, we get locked in and, you know, we're going up and we get to the top of the trees and I'm looking around, I'm going, we got to be at the top. I mean, we're above the trees at this point. And I start looking around, I look up and we're not even a third of the way there yet. And I'm going, this isn't good. My brother, who's four years younger, he like locks down, like he, he like, he became Pentecostal in that moment. There were things that were coming out of his mouth that, like, I'm going, are you speaking English? You know, he is, like, about to cry. We're, th- we're not even there yet. You know, a third of the way up, and I'm going, dear God, you know. And I've got the ripcord. So you just pull the ripcord at any time. You can fall, and I'm thinking, this is a good idea. And then the, the, my buddy on the other side, he's the same age as me. He's going, oh, it's awesome, yeah. And I'm like, I can't pull the ripcord. I'll be the girl in the situation. That won't be good. Um, so I'm holding on and we get another third of the way up and I'm going, dear God, save me now. You know, I'm thinking, take me to heaven before I hit the ground. This would be a far better experience for me. At least people will talk about it later. Um, so we get all the way to the top and literally when you, you this high up on this particular sky coaster, you can't hear anyone on the ground, even though they've got speakers and all that. And they're trying to talk up to you saying, Hey, pull the cord. No, you can't hear them. How do you know you're too high in the air, getting ready to do something really stupid? Let me give you a word of advice. If they tell you you're going to go so high you cannot hear them from the ground, stop right there. This is a good, that is a good decision. If they say there's a light that's going to flash to tell you when to pull the ripcord, that's enough right there. Don't do it. Stay away. So we get on this and we get to the top. And uh, we can't hear a thing. We're just up there talking. I mean, and, and when I have to say this, when he gets to the top, it goes click. And I'm like, dear God, we're dying right now, you know. And so we're sitting there, and um, <laughs> the light starts flashing. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, this is not happening. I got the ripcord. We're, we're, we're going back down. We're going down the way we came up, nice and easy, you know. And so my buddy's like, pull the cord. I'm like, no, pull the cord. No. We're like arguing back there. And the greatest thing is no one could hear what was going on down there. So we just looked like two guys that were hanging out, three guys that were hanging out, actually two guys and like a, a small little girl. But anyway, don't tell my brother I said that. And, um, but, you know, like, <laughs> we're up there, we're arguing. He's pull the cord. I said, fine. And I just, out of a moment of rage, pull the thing. And I hear it click. And I'm like, I am screaming like a five-year-old little girl at Christmas going down, you know. He is loving it, eyes open. And here comes the ground. And the, the, the part of this that's crazy is the reason why people want to ride the Sky Coaster is, is it literally catches you five foot before the ground. My brother's screaming, and he's going, dear God, I think I wet my pants, you know. Like, I mean, he is freaking out. And I'm like, why did we do this? In that moment, I felt alive. I felt like this moment of living on the edge, like what in the world? 
would I do it again? Probably, because I, I don't learn things after the first five times. It takes me about ten. Um, but I was alive. There was something in me that said, hey, this was awesome. But in all that and in the extremeness, I have to tell you this. The last two weeks of my life, I felt more alive than I ever have before. Because I got a, I got a resume. I own a business, and I got a resume from a guy. Because if you're a church planner, you're bivocational. Um, and so in the midst of being bivocational, I got a resume from a gentleman. I looked over it, and I said, I don't want really have a position for you. He just moved to our town. He'd been there about two weeks. Our town is uh, similar to yours in nature and structure, I would say. It's a smaller town. Um, once you, you really got to get integrated into the town to know people. I'm not sure if that's the way it is here, but uh, I felt very sorry for him. So I said, hey, man, let's go grab lunch. I said, well, we'll talk and hang out. And I met a guy named Brad Baker. Brad Baker is very far from Christ. And uh, in the midst of our relationship, I started getting him to hang around Christian people and just started praying for him. And in this, relationships are being developed. And you say, Shane, I can't stand here today and tell you he knows Jesus yet. But I can stand here and tell you this. He's going to. You know what I'm saying? We're doing all that we can. And we're building these relationships. And I feel so alive to be a part of that process. To stand next to a young man who, whose wife's a teacher in our town. And he is struggling to find a job. Can't seem to land anything. And life for him seems to just be looking like it's falling apart. And I'm sitting there looking at him going, yeah, man, I love you. Let me help you in any way I can. Last week, I got him a job at UPS. All he had to do was learn to drive a standard. If you've never done that before, it's tricky. Um, especially if it's in a UPS truck that you're taking the driving test in. Um, and you cannot hit anything in the driving test or you immediately fail. Um, but he said, Shane, I don't have a standard. I, I, don't, I haven't driven a standard since I was 16. How can I practice? I said, I'll find you a car. Don't worry about it. And that's the process we're in. And he called me later that afternoon. He goes, why are you doing all this? He said, man, you genuinely care for me. I said, now you got it. You know that we care. And it's out of our love we will be known. And it's out of how we wrap our arms around. And in this process, I feel so alive. And I have to tell you this. How does that work? How does that play together? How does this all come together? It's because the power of being alive is in the cross. When we live our lives for others, we live our lives differently. It's the cross of Jesus when we come in contact with that, that our world is changed. We live out differently. So when death is all around us, when, when things aren't going right, it's when we are connected with Jesus that we feel the most in tune to life. It's the power of the cross. Let's look at some moments of death, like where all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene. I'm going to be in, the, in John the whole day. So um, I'm going to start in John chapter 8, and then I'm going go to go over to John chapter 20. And uh, in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, you see the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. There's no question there. Someone swung the door open and it was, hey, ho, ho. You can't get by that one. And they drag her to Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, are trying to set Jesus up. That's John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to kind of walk through it for a second. And so what happens is, is they bring this lady to Jesus and death is surrounding her. All the religious people have stones and they're sitting there and they're going, hey, I got an idea. We caught her. We have the right to kill her. And so right now, death is surrounding this lady. I mean, she literally, if Jesus isn't there, there's no hope. She's done. 
And they bring, him to, they bring this young lady to Jesus. And they said, what should we do? And there's this moment that happens as such unconditional love. You see, the religious people brought stones. They brought something to cast at her to bring her to death. But Jesus brought hope. He brought hope. You see, maybe where you're sitting today, you're seeing no way out. You're sitting there, you're going, I don't see how this can take me anywhere. I don't see how this goes anywhere. You know, this situation, I got myself into it, or someone else got me into it. Or you know what? I was, it was just a teenage moment, and it looked really good from the ground. And halfway up, I'm going, dear God, get me out. Everyone around may look like this is hopeless. But when Jesus walks in, there is hope. There is hope. And so what happens is, is, is if you're familiar with the story, if you're not, John does a great account of it, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, hold on for a second. And he bends down, and he starts writing stuff in the sand, and I'm guessing it wasn't the pizza order that he wanted on Friday night. We have no clue what he wrote in the sand. There's assumptions, and there's you know, scholars that think he wrote this and that, and I don't really care. What I care about is whatever he wrote was powerful enough that people start dropping their rocks one by one, and they walk away. And then at the end, it's this lady and Jesus, and he goes, where'd they all go? I just wrote some stuff in the sand. She goes, I I, I don't know, but this is awkward. You know, I was just caught in, you know. She's sitting there, and it's awkward moment, this tension between her and Jesus. And she goes, hey, Jesus looks at her, and I just imagine right there in her eyes, and he goes, hey, listen, if no one wants to condemn you, neither do I. Go and don't do this anymore. And right there, this unconditional love takes place. As we plant a church, that was one of our first core values, love unconditionally. We want to be a hospital, not a courtroom, is how some churches put it. We want to be a place where no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, you'll find love when you stand in front of us. That's a hardcore value. That's a hard thing to do. Woman caught in adultery, I think there's some people that say, yeah, throw the stone. Let me twist that a little bit to today's modern culture, and this is a true story. What happens when the people that stand in front of you are now swingers? And they're trading marital partners around. You say, Shane, did you say that in church? Absolutely. I did. You want to tell you why? Because I met a couple like that. And in the last year, they met Jesus. They've turned from their past and they're walking towards him. And in a community that is a small community, similar to this one, the word spread about all their behaviors. And I, I, I was asked to do their wedding. I said, I'll do your wedding. Told church people all over town I was doing their wedding. Church people were like, man, I hope they get involved. They need Jesus. They found Jesus. They're serving him. And today, because of the grace of God, they're engaging our church plan. And they're following Christ. And they've turned from a lifestyle that they don't want anything to do with, and they realize the harms of it and all that. How do you love people unconditionally? Because that's what Jesus did. And maybe you're sitting in here and you go, hey, I just need to be loved unconditionally. Guess what? Like, that's Jesus. That's this body of believers. They don't care where you come from. They care where you're headed. I love the shirts. There's no perfect people here. Like, man, 
That's me. I am jacked up. I am doing my best to follow Jesus daily. I sat down this week and I, with a guy and I said, man, I, I may have missed this one here. He goes, I don't think you did. I said, I think I did. And I told him why. And he goes, you may have. <laughs> and he, <laughs> I said, yeah, I thought so. Um, but it's that unconditional love that you meet at the feet of Jesus. When everyone else around you wants to cast stones, he's there to embrace you and encourage you. Let's go to another one in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. Verse 19 through 22. I'm going to read this real quick. I don't know if we have it or not. Um, I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, and of course what's happened here before we jump into this, I want to give you some background text here, but Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are living in fear, and all of a sudden, they're meeting together, and this is the account of that. So it's on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone of their sins, their, of their, of, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There's, I'm just going to throw this out there. Chaos erupts right here in Albemarle. And I hope I said that right because I've been massacring it all weekend. Um, but if chaos erupts and the church gets prosecuted and all of a sudden they come after Kevin and his family, they're done, you know, walking dead style, chaos has erupted, you know, people are walking around, gnashing their teeth, whatever, and, and that happens, fear will erupt in this body. And in the same manner, that's what's happened to the early church. Jesus, Savior, crucified, has dead. They haven't seen him alive yet, and they are living in fear. Death is surrounding them, even more so because they're thinking they're next. Like, here he comes, you know? Every person that walks by with a sword or a spear or even a rock, they're going, this isn't going to be good. And they're living in fear. And so what, what, what happens is, is they say, hey, let's just all get together. Let's talk about this. Let's like eat pizza or something. I don't know. And Jesus shows up on this scene. It says in verse 19 so clearly, he, they were in fear. But if you look later, Jesus shows up and what does he say to them? He says, peace be with you. You need to hear this. Like, lean in for a second. Get this. Because if you're hurting today or there's struggles going on, you need to hear this. The only way when death surrounds you for everything to be made, not even right, but for peace to come in your heart is for Jesus to show up on the scene and say, peace be with you. How do I know that? Because my father was a minister. And I think it was five years ago, six years ago, I got a call. My dad on the other end of the line said, Shane, I have cancer. It's terminal. We fell on our face before a God that's righteous and upright and does the right thing. And 
we begin to pray our guts out. And we begin to say, man, if anyone deserves a miracle, it's my dad. It's my dad. Like, you're talking to someone who served the church, right? Like, it's him. Like, he's introduced so many people to stinking Jesus. Like, it's him. I got a call about seven months later after that initial call. I said, Shane, you need to come to Miami. He's got less than a week. Fly to Miami. I sit in the room with him for literally a month almost. I think it was three weeks. And I watched my dad die. And in the middle of that, I walked out. And uh, the only time I even saw my dad sit up in the bed was when my daughter right here on the front row in this pretty blue bow walked in. And uh, he sat up and talked to her like nothing was wrong. And after that, that was it. And we never really had communication with him again until he he passed. But I remember walking out of that going, okay, God, if you're real, uh, you're going to have to do something here. Like I remember one of the darkest times of my life spiritually because I was having trouble saying God is good. And somewhere in that process, I mean, I got in a prayer closet and I had it out with God. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I really, I told him how I was feeling. And it was not pretty. And it was not theological. And it was, <laughs> it was unique. And when I get to heaven, I'm sure that video is going to be played and we're both going to laugh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? I really don't know. <laughs> Can we bypass that one? No, let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. Um... But I can tell you this, Jesus showed up on the scene. And he, the outcome didn't change, but there was peace in my heart. And I say that with all integrity. And I say that with everything that's in me today. I can stand here and tell you God is good. He is good. And so the only way it's going to change is if Jesus shows up on the scene for you. How can you be with Jesus? I think it's pretty simple. First, you've got to accept him as Christ and Lord. Accept him as your savior. You got to be with him. You got to become one. You'd be in this family, body of believers, so to speak, where we say, Man, have you professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, then awesome, baby. Welcome to the party. I think the second thing is you got to pray and read your Bible. Jesus reveals himself through his word. And when you're sitting there praying and you're going, okay, God, I don't even get anything out of this today. Like, I'm struggling. I think in those moments, he reveals himself deeply to you. Because it was in a prayer time where God brought peace to my heart and gave me understanding that I was out of control and he was in control when my father passed away. And he will do the same for you. I'm going to run through these last couple points. I hope you all with me. All right, good. Second's power of community. Um, and I'm going to give you a quick illustration of this. I'm going to jump through this to keep us on time here. But listen, at the heart of this, out of that relationship with God, all sorts of cool things start happening. One is the power of community. We live on a cul-de-sac um, that is so long down there to get to the cul-de-sac. The only reason why you come to the cul-de-sac is if you're seeing someone that lives there, okay? And about three houses up, there was a neighbor that moved in with a bull mastiff. That's a big dog, if you didn't know. I mean, that's a really big dog. And our house sits at the, literally in the cul-de-sac, and then there's two vacant lots off next to us. And our kids believe that's their like, nature to explore um, because no one ever mows the grass, really. And they're taller, it's taller than them. And they go in there, and they find like, all sorts of craziness. You know, I, I don't even know how they end up with so many like, 
limbs and trees. Like my son right here, Chase. What's up, Bubba? You wave at everyone? He can haul trees that are five times his size. He's like an ant. And he just drags them out, you know? And then they're on the side of the road, and you're looking at them. You're going, yeah. Anyway, one day they're playing in this field, and I look up, and the bull mastiff is loose. And I see, like, kids coming out of the brush like ants. They're, and they're all running towards this end of the cul-de-sac, and the dog's behind them, slobbers going everywhere. It was like the movie Sandlot. Um, if you've seen that movie, like, these kids running, I'm going, this is not good. You know, because when they're running and screaming, something's happening. They're, someone's, like, gouged an eye. There's a stick sticking through someone. They've scraped it. Something's going on. So in the cul-de-sac, I walk out, and what I noticed was my neighbor also walked out. And it was like this whole community walks out, and we see this dog running. And we're, <laughs> you know, all the men, like, yeah, I'll handle that dog. No, we wouldn't. What are we going to do? Like, we're just going to jump in front of him and hope it got me first, you know? Like, I pff, got nothing, you know? And the lady that owned the dog came out, yelled, and he turned around and went back. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. I didn't have to act all big and bad and try to hurt the dog, you know, whatever. But in that, I know that we run to places, and I think this is the power of community. Who do you run to? Who do you run to? If you're going to experience life with so much death around you, much like season four of The Walking Dead, who is it that you're encamped with? Who is it that you surrounded yourself with? Who is it that you're running to? Because those people should be deeply connected to God. And when you run to them, they should give you the words of God. They should begin to provoke you to get deeper with Jesus than ever before. Listen, we are all people that go through rough times. But in John 19, it's when they were afraid, where were they, where were they sitting when Jesus shows up? They had ran to be together. So my question to you is, is who do you run to? And, and in, 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 in this church, they have small groups and service teams. If you haven't connected with those, you need to because it's in those groups when all hell breaks loose in your life and things are rough, you have a place to run, you have a place to share, and you have people that genuinely care. They're like your own, they're like your little prison. And if you've seen The Walking Dead, you understand. If you don't, you're like, I'm out. Like, I know what happens in prison. I ain't nothing with that. You know, no. It's your community of believers that you do life together. You fight for each other and with each other so that life ultimately happens in and through you. The last one is the power of mission. Get this, like I have a guy that he lives in our home. Um, he went on a 12-month missions trip called, or 11-month called the World Race. He came back and he moved into our house. Um, but he believes he's seen Bigfoot, like truly believes he's seen Bigfoot. Um, and so for weeks, he tried to convince us that Bigfoot was real, and he saw him step over a chain-link fence in Florida or barbed wire fence or something. And so one day, I was on um, USA Today, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this group of scientific people who believe that Bigfoot now exists, and they have DNA and photos of his face and everything, and I'm not out in left field here. And I said, okay, I believe this guy is grade A crazy, but I'm going to forward this article to him just to stir the pot. And so I forwarded this article to him, and he comes running downstairs as soon as he gets it. He's like, I told you he's real. Now will you believe me? You know, we had this argument. And here's, here's, if you've ever met someone that engages something that is completely ridiculous, like UFOs or Bigfoot, and Bigfoot may exist, okay? USA Today, that's a reliable source. I'm not going to argue that anymore, but here's the deal. 
they're passionate about it. And they live on mission to tell the world that these things are real and exist. And while I don't really care one way or the other, I care about Jesus and that him being known, I feel like that's a much more valid path to fight for. But in John 20, verse 21, when Jesus is wrapping his time up right there with him, what does he say? He says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so in the midst of this death, when all this stuff is going on, and they're thinking people with swords are going to come kill them. They're going to be crucified like Jesus. All this junk is going on. Jesus walks in. He says, first, I'm going to talk to your heart. He says, I'm going to calm your tail down. So calm down. Calm down. You know, like, easy does it. And then he says, now I'm going to send you on mission. Go. Wait, when we open that door, there's go. But there's a dude that has a slingshot and he's good with it. Go. But. I might get crucified. Go. He says, I'm sending you. If you want life, listen, it has to be about others. You have to live, you will live your life differently when you live your life for others. So when Jesus is sitting there and death surrounding him, he's saying, listen, go. When we started our church plant, we sat amongst a group of 14, uh, 12, sorry, 12 people who came from church backgrounds. And the first thing I asked them was, how are you living to reach this community. And they said, what do you mean? I said, who are the five people that you know that are far away from Jesus that you hope in the next 12 months meet Jesus? And they looked at me like I was a grade A idiot. You want me to tell you why? Because they didn't know five people that needed Jesus. And I said, that doesn't work for me. If we're going to change a community, if we're going to be a part of bringing like change where a city that only 9% of people are evangelical Christians and go to church, 9%. If we're going to bring change to that city, if you're going to bring change to this city, then guess what? You're going to have to know some lost people. And you're going to have to live on mission. You're going to have to say, hey, man, if, if you're going to have life in you when all this death is around you, Jesus is saying, go, go, live your life for some people that need me. So practically, I think the way I would tell you this is, can you find five people in your circle that need Jesus? When I say your circle, I mean the people that live next door, the people you work with, or the people who run through your petunias or whatever kind of flower you have and tear them up. How do I know that? Because I was at the corn maze yesterday and I saw kids tearing off through there, tearing that corn up. That's a cool little spot if you haven't checked it out. But when you find five people and you begin to live life on mission you will find life like you've never experienced it before. How do I know that? I'm going to tell you a final story, and I'm done. So, um, is this. Is her name's Katie Rents, and she used to bear the last name Hummel, and in between the time she got married and the last name Hummel, she bared our last name. She was living at our house practically all the time. Every night of the week, we would see her. Katie Hummel, Rents, Olson, whatever her last name is now, you know, whatever she's claiming, I think it's Rents, which is her husband. But... Um, she grew up in a home where cocaine was prevalent. Dad pulled a gun on her at one point. Her, her, her home life was a wreck. She's in her 20s. She's a passionate follower of Jesus. I mean, passionate. You want to meet someone to tell you about Jesus? You meet Katie. It might come across really weird for a while, but when she gets to the end, it's about Jesus. And she goes, Shane, I got five friends, and like three of them, they don't even believe that God exists. And she said, the other two, well, they're just weird. And she goes, these are my five people. I'm going to go on this journey with you. And she was in that meeting. She says, I want five. These are my five. I said, well, how are you going to reach them? She goes, I think we're going to go on vacation together. Oh, that's going to be good. 
Yeah, I know them. Like, they're all going as couples, you know, and you're going as a married couple. This is, yeah, let me know how Jesus works out in that environment. Y'all going to the Caribbean, and you're getting on a boat. Never mind, I'm going to stop right there. But listen, they go on vacation. They get back from that vacation. All five of her friends sit her down, and this is what they told her. We're not sure about God, but what we are sure about is if he's real, if he exists, you love him. And then they said, would you do us a favor? Would you start a Bible study for us? Because we want to learn about your God. So the first night they have Bible study, there's not five people, it's like eight. Three other girls show up because these five have invited three people. They don't even know Jesus. What's going on? When lost people hear, when people who are far away from God hear about the amazingness of Jesus and that God's doing something real and authentic, lost people run through the streets and bring all their friends who happen to be lost and drive them to the church. And my question to you is, is who are the five people in your circle of accountability where God's placed you that need him? Because if you're going to experience life first, you have to be connected to Jesus Christ. You have to be intimately, madly in love with him. Out of that, you need to experience the community of believers. And then you need to live on mission. And if I left a blank on your outline, it's because I'm ADHD. You tell me right now and I'll try to fill it in to the best of my ability. <laughs> Good, I got them all. Whew. That's like failing a test for a preacher. Hey, guys, I love you. Thank you for being with me. Be praying for us. Um, Let's take a moment and uh, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we, um, we recognize first that there's a great difference between being alive and breathing. And that we're surrounded by a lot of people that are breathing and have jobs and homes and pets and kids, but they're not alive. And we realize that we're living in a world that has been infected with a virus that has led us to be surrounded by death. And so God, today... We want to be alive. We're not satisfied with breathing. We're not even going to entertain the thought of death. God, we want to be alive. So God, we just look to you today. Some of us in the room today would say, I'm not even close to that. I'm not even, I'm, when you talk about being alive in Jesus as opposed to being this death that we talk about of sin, and I'm not even there. When we talk about the difference between just breathing and being fully alive, some of us go, yeah, that's, I'm just breathing right now. So God, would you wake us up? With nobody looking around, I'd like to ask you a question today. And it's just this. Are you, are you alive? 
really, not just breathing, not are you going to get up tomorrow morning and go to a job? Are you going to navigate the routine of life? Are you alive? Because if you've been the walking dead and you want to be alive, it is just one moment of you choosing Jesus and that's it. That stands in between real life. So today, let me ask you that question. If you're here today and you would say, Right now, I'm not alive, but I want to be. Right now, I'm not alive, but I want to be. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? I see those hands. Is there anybody else that would say today, and that's me. Let's take a moment and pray for those that have raised their hands. God, for those that have raised their hands, I just want to ask that you would, by your grace and mercy, God, bring them from death to life as only you can because we love you, God, and we trust you. And we ask in the name of Jesus, we pray.